The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to Episode 45 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. During the month of December, from Episode 43 to 47, I'm talking with survivors who are making fitness fun again. Confession, I am not a gym lover, even though my studio looks, well, a bit like a gym. While I do love yoga and Pilates, I prefer to get my cardio movement outside, doing fun things in nature. That's just more restorative for me. While I was trying out some new and fun ways to stay moving this past week, I dropped in on the two unstoppable virtual walk and talk for December where I met this week's guest. Don't worry, I'll be sharing more on Two Unstoppable in a couple of weeks when I talk with one of their founders. This week, I'm so happy to introduce my guest, Denise Manos. Her energy is infectious, and I think you're really going to enjoy our chat. Let's jump in. Hi, Denise. Thank you for joining me today. We were at an event I use event in quotes on Sunday, where we were at a walk and talk event where we all met on Zoom from our different locations and then paired up with our buddies to go out to walk for 30 to 45 minutes. And then we reconvened to visit and socialize. And that was where I met Denise. And I'm so excited that she was willing to share her story because she has such a fantastic story and just a fantastic outlook and spirit. And I think that everyone is going to love learning from her today. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Denise, to share your story. Thank you, Jan. I sure appreciate you reaching out to our two unstoppable group and coming and telling us uh, what it is that you specialize in and what you were looking for and your story also. Uh, it was it was very much a pleasure. I enjoyed what you had to say, and so I reached out to you immediately. And because uh, I, I I feel you were preaching to the choir here, and I just wanted to sing along. I love that. Thank you so much. I'm so excited that you did. So um, I was diagnosed with stage zero Thanksgiving of 2009. I had a left hand, left breast, small lumpectomy, pinpoint radiation. I went on tamoxifen, uh, had a small lumpectomy, went on tamoxifen and was on it for five years. During those five years, I joined a gym, worked out two hours a day, one hour of power walking and an hour of either yoga or weightlifting. And I was also a strict vegan. And I was just going to make sure that cancer didn't come back. And then uh, Labor Day of 14, tripped fell. Uh, I figured I broke a rib, went in, had a CT scan. I had metastatic breast cancer to the T7 in my spine. And I lost 80% of that vertebrae. They went in, they rebuilt it with concrete. But in the meantime, every six months I have a scan and there the cancer is. It hasn't grown too much. Its rate is very slow. So we are not concerned because of this, even though, yeah, I do watch it. I do pay attention because it is traveling along the ribs very slowly. 
but we're paying attention. I started taking uh, eye brands this Friday. I'll be taking my 74th cycle of eye brands. Uh, that's uh, oral chemo, and it is designed to mess with fast growing cells. So you have mild side effects compared to infusion cancer. Of course, the side effects are, are uh, not as horrendous. Yes, I've lost hair, but obviously I have a head of hair. Yes, it messes with my skin. I put lotion on twice a day, blah, blah, blah. So um, then I also take letrozole because I'm estrogen positive. The letrozole shuts off the estrogen, not only in my ovaries, but in all of my body. So I thought I went through menopause before. I know what menopause is now <laughs> and all those symptoms on top of it. And then I go into for infusion every six months to take Somata, which is a bone builder. And you have to very be very careful. I learned the hard way that it can leave fractures in your bones. So even though uh, every day I walk my 7,500 steps and every day I do 10 to 20 minutes of either yoga or strength training, I learned the hard way that I had to do strength training and not lifting weights. So I followed the RBG workout. Ruth That's Bader. awesome. And it, I, I can't do a whole hour worth of a workout uh, because my, my back just will never be the same again, but I can do 10 to 20 minutes. So I broke it into thirds and I alternate, you know, yoga and the strength training. And I do that every day. And um, I follow the DASH diet, which is for hypertension. But of course, it, it's healthy for everybody, you know, diabetics, heart disease, the whole nine yards. It's, it's, it's one of the top uh, diets out there based on the Mediterranean diet and also the mind diet, which is neurological disorders. So I've been very pleased with that. And I practice uh, intermittent fasting. I only eat during the hours of work, which is between... Um, like six to four in there. And I fast the rest of the time. So um, I've learned over, oh, it, it'll be six years in February. So I've learned over the years what to do that benefits me the best for where I'm at right now. In the beginning, when I was first diagnosed, I went to the Susan G. Komen site. I mined down to metastatic cancer. I did not know at the time that Susan G. Komen was for stage zero through three because stage four people will not be wearing the survival sash, will they? And it only said three things. Number one, there's no cure. Number two, the average woman lives 27 months. And number three, palliative care. I freaked, the sky was falling. I got all my paperwork in order. I apologized to my children. I said goodbye to everybody, blah, blah, blah. And year after year, I kept living. I was under psychiatric care because I had stopped sleeping. And uh, through the care of a team of doctors, and you need to have a team of doctors, I've gotten proper care. And I have learned to be friends with everything that's happening to me. I love that. And it's really scary, the the statistics when you look at when you look at something like the Susan G. Komen site and look at metastatic and start looking at the survival rates and the longevity and 
I really, I wonder myself how we're going to see those numbers changing. Absolutely. The challenge is that those numbers are based on a 20-year graph. Yes. They're going to change. They just won't be changing as quickly as the new medications are are helping. The doctors right. see that metastatic people are going to be living a lot longer. Oh, and by the way, Susan G. Komen's site has changed. Oh, that's good. Yes. Thank you. Uh, but the, all the doctors and nurses can see that this is a good world coming around the corner, but they must do 20 years worth of research. Since, since the drugs have only been out probably six years, they've got a little ways to go. But yeah. for 80% of the breast cancer metastatic ladies, they are estrogen positive, And it's a beautiful world out there for them right now. They need to not quit their day job. You know what I mean? Yes. And I really loved what you said about coming from where you are right now. I had a nurse say to me on my first chemo treatment, did you close your business? Are you taking a break? Oh, my goodness. And I said, I looked at her very confused and was like, no, my doctor doesn't even really think that I'm going to have serious challenges with this until maybe halfway through, like I'm in really good shape, like physically I'm well, I have good habits. Like he's not really concerned. And she was like, oh yeah, by Monday, you're going to be done. You're going to, you're going to have to take the next 18 weeks off. You know, (laughs) everyone's journey is very personal. Yes. I mean, I'm, I have my journey But yet in my advanced cancer group, I see women who are not having a good journey and I'm there for them and I'm there to support them and I'm there to listen and give hugs and kisses and everything because everything they're saying is very true. Absolutely. Uh, Compared to them, I don't have much of a story to tell because I was discovered early, treated early, and my health was good going in. Which is which doesn't mean anything because cancer is not fair. It yeah. isn't fair. I work with a guy whose newborn son had metastatic cancer. Okay. And he called me to tell me, I want you to know my son's graduating from college. It's going to be okay. And that was wonderful. That was wonderful. And it took me about a year of freaking out and seeing the psychiatrist and getting my medication settled. Because you don't know what's going to happen to you. Yes. And you've got to take it one day at a time. And when you're with folks, you need to say, how are you today? Not yesterday, not tomorrow, just today. Let's be where we are today. Um, I volunteer for Life with Cancer has an SOS mentor, which is their survivors offering support. And I specialize with the metastatic um, folks, you know, who want someone to talk to. And it is, it is important to stay positive to the best of your ability, but you're going to have crap days. (laughs) Yes, we all do. Yes. And you need someone to listen to you, even though you don't want them to answer anything or tell you anything. Just listen. And of course, that's true for any friendship, isn't it? Yes. 
And you have such a great outlook and seeking services. I think seeking services is so important. And I, I don't know that we're always guided to those services. I think that's definitely a gap that we have in this kind of continuum of care. Because like in your initial journey, there comes a point where you kind of are, you know, quote unquote, cut loose. And you're going along doing your scans and taking the tamoxifen or whatever support medications you have. But then there's, there's gaps. You kind of fall into the gap. Right. So I really applaud you for seeking services. Yeah. And support. Yeah. I never heard of life with cancer until I was diagnosed with metastatic. I did not know there was this whole world out there. And one of the, and I was taking all of their classes and right away I learned you need to be a part of your medical care team active. You need to look at your situation like a project manager, you know, you and you need to reach out and ask for help, which is really hard for someone like me who just knows everything and has all the answers. Right. Uh, And I did. I reached out to everything I could get my hands on. And I learned a lot. Some of it I kept. Some of it was like, well, that's not me. But you have got to be on your team. Don't let it happen to you. You need to happen with it. You're your best advocate. Yes. And I like to tell people too, like if you have a question or something seems odd to you, that's not something that's normal for you. Like if you kind of get dismissed as can happen, like keep keep poking. <laughs> like don't allow the don't allow the dismissal cuz you just never know. Like you know. Yeah. You are the master of your body. Like you know if something's weird, you know if something's off. You know if you take a medication on Tuesday and on Friday you start to notice that you're consistently not feeling well, like exactly. even if that's symptom is not normal mm-hmm. might be for you and it's okay to keep insisting to be heard right exactly and sometimes I'll, we'll talk about this in the group and someone is uh going through a situation and they wonder if they should get a second opinion and we will all say almost simultaneously yes the fact that you're asking it means the answer is yes and listen to yourself. Go with that gut instinct. Because what's the worst that'll happen? Nothing. Right. Or maybe everything. You don't know. But yes, by all means, be your own best friend. Yes. And with second opinions, too, I think somewhat like asking for help. A lot of us are, especially women, I think are more apprehensive to ask for help. We try to do all the things. And asking for help can be a challenging thing to do but also like sometimes I'll hear people that are really feeling pulled for a second opinion feel as though that's 
you're a traitor to your doctor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that was the that was exactly what I was searching for. You're stepping out on your husband. <laughs> and people do feel that way. And I have to say, like, some of the best doctors I know are the ones that are like, yes, here's a list of people you can go talk to. Exactly. Because no. they want, they also, like, they have your best interests at heart. And then they're, that also is a sign that they're also open to hear what another perspective Right. And I highly recommend joining a group. And uh, there are people who are in your situation and and you can learn wonderful things from other ladies that have had same journey, different journey. It's just amazing. But there's so many wonderful people out there who speak your language. One of the things I kind of ran into was an attitude of, well, you look fine. Yes. And that sometimes you just really have to stand up for yourself and say, I understand I look fine. You know, the car looks fine. It's just the engine's not working quite right. And that's what we need to do. We need to, we're, we're, we're getting the mechanical opinion of what's going on. And um, if you've got a good you know, if you're in a good group, they can give you amazing information. I was, un- I remember in the beginning, I was un- unable to put into words what was going on with me. And it wasn't until I saw the psychiatrist at Life with Cancer, he noticed I was wearing a Fitbit. He said, does your Fitbit monitor your sleep? And I said, yeah. And he says, show me your app. And he went to the sleep section. He said, do you realize you're not sleeping? And I said, no. And he said, sleep deprivation is not good for you. And he recommended that I go on a a medication that they use for soldiers with post-traumatic stress disorder, which I didn't see that one coming. And he says, it's okay. It'll be low dose. And it was. It was the lowest dose out there. And by golly, I started to sleep because I I didn't realize I was having these night terrors where I was either drowning, suffocating, or having a seizure. This put an end to it. I slept. And when I went back to see him, just so happy, but he kind of had a serious look on his face. And I said, what? He said, you're yawning. I says, what? And he said, you're unable to complete a sentence without yawning. Do you know one of the uncommon side effects of this drug is uncontrollable yawning? (laughs) I started laughing because that was so funny. I was waiting for the punchline. So he said, I'm now going to put you, he said, I want you to take your med at night. In the morning, I want you to take a small dose of Ritalin to shut off that yawning. And I said, wait a minute, you're telling me to take one drug here and another drug to shut it off. All my, you know, sensors are going off. And he said, he says, no, 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 we, we've got to find a balance for you. He says, you're still on chemo. You're going to be on chemo a long time. We need to find a balance for you. And by golly, I tell you, it pays to have a team, a good team, but, but go to them for who they are and what they are. You know, don't be asking your oncologist about if you should still be getting pap smears. <laughs> you know what I mean? Have your team together. 
you know, go to a have a palliative care specialist on your team if you're metastatic. And so many meds people won't do that because that's like, I'm not dying. I'm not dying. And I says, oh my gosh, when, when hospice started back in the 80s, that's basically what it was for. But through the years, these 40 years, they have discovered a whole range of things that they can do. And sometimes people check in for them to reorganize them to send them back home again. So get that palliative gear guy on your team because that's what he represents. Another facet of what's going on with metastatic cancer. That's amazing. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, there's so many things I want to circle back on that idea of PTSD, because that is definitely something that cancer survivors and cancer patients and caregivers of patients are being diagnosed with more and more commonly. And also that idea of having a palliative care person on your team. I love that. We are all at some point in time going to go down that road. The more prepared we are, like the easier that journey can be. And I also want to talk about some of the cost concerns because you and I had talked about that off air. So when we come back, we have so many more things to talk about. So stay with us. We'll be right back. I hope you're enjoying Unspoken Cancer Truths help people to get moving again and sometimes you just need to switch up the approach or find a new challenge especially when thinking about starting back after treatment or an illness one of my goals is to help you flip the idea of exercise as something that's hard awful or daunting and make it something fun maybe even a little social safely of course the important thing is that you want to get started and you're happy to show up for yourself and then you want to stay in the game because it feels good to move and you had fun doing it. Ready to reimagine exercise? You can email me at jennifer at fitnessdesignsolutions.com or schedule a copy chat with me through the Facebook group Surviving is Just the Beginning. Now back to the show. Welcome back. I'm here with Denise Manos, and we are talking about her metastatic breast cancer journey and all the things that go along with that. And one of the things we were just chatting about off air, she shared earlier about all of the getting all of her paperwork in order. And I cannot stress enough like how important that is at any stage. I did that before my initial surgery, um, just to make sure that things would go the way that I wanted them to go, even though I knew I was very sure that I was going to be okay. But I wanted to make sure those things were in place for my now husband and my family. And one of the things that I think is so so important, but that a lot of us don't want to talk about is like end of life wishes. And I love the idea that you have a palliative care person on your team, because they can guide you through so many things. My father in law 
passed in in September from stage four liver cancer. And we happened to be out spending some time with them in August. And the hospice person came in and was like telling them all the things that needed to be done with paperwork. And like, he was very somewhat early in his hospice stage there, but just getting all those, having that guide and that assistance is just so beneficial. So you were starting to share with me a situation that you experienced and how beneficial it is to kind of plan those end of life. And Yes, exactly. When my mother passed away 10 years ago, well, 13 years ago now, um, I wanted to go over her will with her before she passed away to make sure that everything was in order the way that she wanted it. And she felt that was bad luck to do. And my sisters were so angry at me for bringing this up. And I said, really, I think it's very important. And we all got together. Everybody was upset at me for doing this morbid thing. I took her will out of the envelope. The first thing it says is she wants to be cremated. I says, Ma, you always told me you wanted to be buried. She says, I do. And I said, it's in capital letters here that they're going to cremate you. And I said, do you realize they've misspelled your name on every single page of this will? It's important to get your paperwork in order. Now, you get mixed messages. It's like, well, you're going to live a long time. Don't worry about it. But then on the other hand, everyone with a state or children or anything should have their will together. So what I did is I bought Quicken Willmaker. There's all kinds of packages out there. But I wanted to do it on my own time, in my own home, in my own way. And Quicken Willmaker took me by the hand, asked me one question at a time, explained to me what it was, showed me an example. There's three documents that will need to be notarized. Anything you have a title on, like your house or your car, has to have beneficiaries appointed. I didn't know this about a house, but they gave me the paperwork to take down to the land and records office file. That alone will cost you $1,200 at an attorney's office. But I managed to do the whole thing for 50 bucks. And the thing is, is that Life with Cancer offers end-of-life classes on all subjects, but one of them was on finances. And they have an out-of-state attorney who comes in and talks to us about all of our questions. And I brought this up and he kind of shook his head and he said, well, you know, you really should go to a professional. I didn't disagree. But then later on in the lecture, he says, now you're paying me so much per minute. So make sure you come in with everything ready to go. Don't waste my time writing your name on a piece of paper. So my hand shoots back up in the air. And I said, wouldn't it help you if I came to your office with all of my paperwork complete? Like with Wick and the Quick and Willmaker. <laughs> and uh, oh, he says, yeah, yeah, come to think of it, that would be, yeah, very helpful. And uh, when I made my will up, my, my youngest son was still with me at home. Of course, they're all gone now. They all have their own spouses and so on and so forth. But I'm glad all of my paperwork is organized. I've reviewed it since then because it's been six years. And uh, fortunately, I kept it so simple that it all reads the same anyway. But there are wonderful things that you can do also, like your five wishes and and uh, designating your medical and your uh, finance uh, power of attorney, all of those things. You've got to be proactive, not reactive when you're laying on your deathbed, you know. Yes, or when someone asks for them and you don't and they don't exist. 
Yes. And, and you do send them to six different people, by the way, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting in, in the journey that we had over the summer from the time my father-in-law was diagnosed. A silver lining of COVID was that my husband works remotely and he's never worked remotely in his entire career. So he was able to spend some time when he was first diagnosed, he was able to go and be there and help get services and help with organizing all the kind of cats that are running around when you have these types of things come up. And we've had quite a bit of funeral planning over the years in my family and his family hasn't had as much. And I said, this is going to sound morbid, but are there, are the plans in place? Like, do they have prepaid funeral and those things? And when he asked his mom, his mom said, you know, we did do that a couple of years ago, but we didn't finish the planning. I do really wish that we had finished that. And my husband said, let's go finish it now. Like we, I can help you with that. Like, and when we laid my father-in-law to rest, my mother-in-law looked at the casket and said, I'm so glad that he was able to do these things because I wouldn't have made these choices. Exactly. And And that's another class at Life with Cancer is on funerals and memorials and things like that. And they actually have people come in from a funeral home and answer all your questions. And you would have thought that'd be the most morbid class to take. Well, we had so much fun. They had us just laughing at all the the crazy things that we have to think about, you know, and they give us the paperwork to plan things out. And I did read a book called Grave Matters, and it was about being cremated, being uh, embalmed, or having a natural funeral. And there's all kinds of natural funerals. And the laws are so wide and variable. You know, it is something to think about. There's many things that you can plan that that I just never thought about before. Yeah, it's so interesting. And and in the end, it was such a blessing to have all of that done because the family could then just be with where they were and not have to make decisions or big think about well what what would he want or it was all it was all done and all we had to do was set a date and turn up yes and that I mean he chose his readers he called all the people that he wanted to have involved ahead of time it was a way for him to connect with people he hadn't connected with in a while like it really ended up being such a blessing in disguise absolutely and really so, such a kindness for those left behind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, it, to, to sit with your people and listen to their questions and concerns. Uh, I, was, I was surprised at some of the things that my kids were asked. Well, I mean, not, not terribly surprised, but what their concerns were, were not necessarily the things that I thought they would be most concerned about like that. <laughs> it was good to have the conversation, but I did choose to have a natural burial. And uh, so my kids never even gave a thought to that. 
they just assumed you went to a funeral home and magic happened and things were taken care of. And uh, so it was an interesting conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a wide, such a wide scope of a topic. Yes, it is. I'm glad Life with Cancer had the classes that opened my eyes and put me in a situation with people where we were we were all there on the same mission. Because sometimes you'll start talking about things with people and you can see the conversation needs to come to an end. You're freaking people out. Stop talking like that. You're fine. You're going to live another 50 years. Everything's fine. Just stop talking, you know, and that's not what you need right now. You need to go to the source. You know, go to the trough, get your fill. You don't have to take people with you. Um, it was very, very helpful. I, I make use of all the resources. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. So one of the things we were talking about earlier, you mentioned that you're on your 74th cycle of eyebrow. And one of the things that I say to people is to keep track of the finances because as much as we don't want to acknowledge it, medicine yes. is a business. It is a business. And I calculate that I've probably consumed about $1.8 million just in eye brands alone. Because it's about $1,200 a pill. And it works like birth control three weeks on, one week off. There you go. But um, you you do need to pay attention to your finances and make sure that you follow a normal budgeting plan that everyone should be following you know have that fallback money have that sinking fund have you know know where everything is um i also uh, started using quicken for my finances so that i know where all my money is where it's located all the paperwork because people are going to need that when you go bye bye if and when you go bye bye and people shouldn't have to be scraping through drawers and file cabinets to figure out what's going on. You know, you need to know your business. You need to be the team leader of your project management. Yes. And in terms of finances as well, there are so many bills and things that come in. And it is so important to be on top of those. And to have the, the uncomfortable conversations to say, you know, this pill costs $1,200. I take it three times a month. Like, I don't have $3,600 for this medication every month. Like, that's a mortgage payment or more, right? Yeah. And so there are a lot of options now. Insurance pays a portion, but different insurances. I was on Herceptin for mine. And I had one insurance for the first part. And they paid my insurance was billed $7,000. The allowable amount with that first insurance was $7,000 for that drug. When I changed to when my husband and I got married and my insurance changed, they still were billed $7,000. But the insurance company only allowed $4,500. So different insurance companies have different agreeable amounts. And then based on your deductible and your 
out-of-pocket maximum and all of those things, like it gets complicated. It gets very complicated. And often you have to have the conversation soon because there are options. There are drug manufacturers provide um, stipends or different things like that. I have one client who has a medication that she takes the companies that pharmaceutical company pays her deductible until it is maxed. And then everything goes through insurance because the cost of the medication she's on is so high. So there are a lot of programs like that. Yes. Reach out immediately. Once, once you get any kind of a diagnosis, but especially metastatic, because that's the rest of your life. You take that the rest of your, there's no ringing the bell. There's no in. I've, I've often used the analogy uh, for, of metastatic cancer about the valley of the shadow of death. When you're diagnosed with stage zero or three, you go down into the valley of the shadow of death. You're tortured and maimed for about a year, but you come out the other side, you ring the bell, you put the pink survivor sash on and you go your way. Metastatic people, we just hang out in the valley under the shadow, living our lives for however many years we're allowed to live our lives. And you need to reach out immediately up front. You can't believe how many programs there are out there. It's huge. So many. And I'm sure Pfizer is really, really, really happy that I, their good little guinea pig, am still living. So, yes, do not spend your money first and say, what what do I do now? Make use of your resources now. Keep your money. Don't quit your day job. Yes, that is so, so important. I had a friend say they had a doctor on their team that was out of network and she didn't she didn't know there was another option. And it was like the night before surgery. And I was like, okay, these things are negotiable. Like, and she said, well, we have savings. I was like, this is not what savings is for. Like savings is for when you have to pay your mortgage because your loved one is out of work for two months because you're navigating this. Like that's what savings is for. Savings is not... To pay the out of network doctor twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> exactly. It, oh, it's so important. It really is. You know, you know, the like I was saying, there there's five aspects that you need to be lead on mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, and financial. And make sure that you're the lead for these five teams. And it, it is better to be proactive. And error on the side of doing too much, then not enough. Yes. And when we when we met earlier this week, you I believe you have experienced a casting for recovery retreat. I I had gone in, yes, in, in I believe it was 2015 or early 16. And it was a wonderful experience. Uh, I couldn't fish worth a darn, and I probably will never fish again. But just being with women who were, we were together, totally isolated from distractions, 
listening to each other's stories. And these were women from around the world, not just in our area. I learned so much about myself and others. And I was so humbled by the experience. I, and it is a lottery. I got in because I had metastatic. They'll take metastatic first. And then it's a lottery for anyone else coming in. But, and of course, COVID has spoiled it lately, but it is a wonderful experience and I highly recommend it. Well, they will be back in 2021. I talked with Wendy Golick from Casting for Recovery last week. And I wanted to sneak that in because you had commented about them taking people who are metastatic first. And I think you're such a great role model for people in the things that you can do and continue to pursue. And I just think that that's amazing. Um, We met through Two Unstoppable, which is an organization that you're going to hear more about later this month when I talk with one of the founders. Um, The other founder will be here in January. But Two Unstoppable pairs up survivors to exercise together to Unstoppable. (laughs) Yes. It is wonderful. I I can't sing the praises of that organization high enough. I, uh, I've i got a walking buddy for Monday, one for Wednesday, and one for Friday. And my Friday walking buddy, we've become dear friends. And it is so inspirational because you hold each other accountable. And so many times we will have a down day or they'll have a down day, but we inspire each other. And uh, it's good. It's good to have friends and reach out to people. You know, please don't ever sit in isolation. Please don't ever feel you're alone. Yes, that is one of the big goals of this podcast as well, to see ourselves in one another and know that we're not alone. Yes. And there's others out there who are doing well and thriving. Yes. And I think that that is so amazing. And I think that we could probably talk all day. The time goes so fast. And I think I say that in every episode, that the time goes so fast. Um, But thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to share? Oh, Jen, you're amazing. I thank you so much for what you're doing. What a blessing. Well, thank you. I'm so, so so happy that we connected and were able to have this conversation today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I never know the direction these conversations will take because it really is an organic conversation. Thank you so much, Denise, for sharing your story, your exuberance for life, and for your openness in exploring the often taboo topics of -of end-of-life planning from palliative care through celebration of life activities the importance of mental health support when facing a cancer diagnosis or any challenging life situations, and the ever-avoided talk about the realities of the financial side of treatment and the medical system in general. So often these topics are uncomfortable and just avoided, and I so appreciate being able to talk about them from a place of curiosity. There's an interesting thing that happens when you have a cancer diagnosis or you finish your treatment cycle. A lot of people have opinions, which really have no basis in your reality. 
There are two ideas that Denise talked about today that I really want you to think about. And really, these can apply to any human in any situation. Make friends with everything in your universe. And then ask yourself, where am I now? And how can I take positive action from this place? Those ideas are so important. If we can be okay with where we are now, then we can navigate how to get started and do the things that we really are wanting to do. So that's our episode this week. If you have been wanting to get moving, but you're just not sure what you wanted to try, come on over to the Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning, and look for the coffee chat post to schedule some time on my calendar for us to chat. Sometimes having that sounding board can spark new ideas. Thanks for listening and have a great week.